to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Amen. Well, this morning, I want to share a word that I believe will encourage you. My primary gift is uh, the gift of encouragement, and I feel this morning that the Lord wants to encourage uh, the church, I want to speak from Luke chapter 9, verses 10 to 17. Luke chapter 9, verses 10 to 17. Now, we don't have it on the screen, so uh, do we, can we just show it? Luke chapter 9, verses 10 to 17. Oh, we got it. Praise God. All right, so let's read. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, send the crowd away so that they, they go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we're in a remote place here. He replied, you give them something to eat. Can we, just, can we all say that uh, verse, please? You give them something to eat. Turn to the person next to you and say, you give them something to eat. To eat. So the disciples answered, We have only five loaves and of, of bread and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. Uh, and there were 5,000 men who were there, but he said to his uh, disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The, the disciples did so, and everyone sat down, taking the five loaves and two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the, to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Amen. Well, I want, I want to speak to you on the subject this morning. You give them something to eat. Oftentimes in my life, when the Lord speaks to me about certain assignments or certain projects that He wants me to embark on, I often feel overwhelmed with the immensity of these assignments God gave to me. And oftentimes, even with my own inadequacy. Turn to the person next to you, inadequacy. And even the, the, and even the Apostle Paul exclaimed in 2 Corinthians 2.16, who is adequate for these things? And so, as God's people, as His children, we all dream dreams. Right? We've got all great plans. And oftentimes when these plans hit us, when dreams came to us in the night, when, when God puts a vision in our lives, we are overwhelmed and oftentimes we feel inadequate. Or am I, or am, or am I, or am I alone? <laughs> I mean, most of us, we do, right? So, and the gospel account of Jesus feeding the 5,000 is probably the most significant miracle Jesus performed. Why? Because it is the only miracle that was recorded in all four gospels. The only miracle in all four gospels. And the Lord actually used this miracle for the training of the 12. And we see this as a challenge you know, to all his disciples then and now. You give them something to eat. In John's Gospel, in chapter 6, verse 6, John told us that Jesus was testing them, especially, uh, especially Philip, knowing that Jesus knew exactly what to do. So this was actually a test from Jesus to the disciples. And the focus of this miracle is not on the, nat- on the spectacular nature of the miracle, but the focus 
of this story was on how Jesus met the needs of people through ordinary, everyday believers. Alright, so with that as a context, I want to share with you three observations from this passage. The first observation is we live in a world full of people with real needs. We live in in a world full of people with real needs. Now, the apostles returned from their first preaching tour and they gave an account to Jesus of all that they've done and that's in chapter 9 and verse 10. They were telling Jesus how excited they were, all the miracles, all the amazing things and then Jesus withdrew with the disciples to to Bethsaida on the northeast side of the Sea of Galilee. And Mark's Gospel actually tells us that, that the purpose of the retreat was to rest. Say rest. Because there were so many people that they've been ministering to, they've been on this mission trip for perhaps days, if not weeks, and they, I'm sure, were tired. So they got into to the boat and they started off across the lake, but the only time they got to rest was on the boat because as they were crossing the lake, from afar they saw masses of people and they, and they saw crowds. And I'm sure in the disciples' mind, they must have thought to themselves, let's turn back. Because, you know, they were supposed to be resting, but then they, were ex- and, but they knew what Jesus would do. They knew that when Jesus crossed over with all these needs, that He'll be ministering, He'll be teaching, and like what we read, He'll be healing the sick. And guess what? The disciples were apprentices, which means that they'll be serving, they'll be helping, they might be catching, they might, you know, be doing all kinds of ministry. They were probably... That day, there were blind people, lame people, deaf people, diseased, and some might be dying. And Jesus had a reputation. And when these citizens heard that he was coming to Bethsaida, I'm sure they came from all over. And friends brought friends, strangers, pulled people from the street. Those who were lame were carried on probably uh, the backs of their friends. And they were all coming to Jesus because they all had needs. They all had needs and Jesus healed them. And probably, you know, after a while when he was teaching them, the greatest need uh, that followed was that they, were, they became hungry because Jesus taught for a whole day and they were all spellbound by the anointing on Jesus' life to teach. Now, regardless of whether it's a need for healing or a need for food, I believe the greatest need that the human kind has or, or the human race has is spiritual, that we all need salvation. Amen. But in this story, the problems that people encounter, we learn, can oftentimes be the entry point. Say entry point. For us to minister to people, not just physical needs, not just emotional needs, but also spiritual needs, which is really the greatest need. All right. So we live in a world with all kinds of needs. Every day, you know, when I wake up as a pastor, I'll receive texts you know, from people who have needs. In my course of work, I receive texts from people who have financial needs, you know, I, or from pastors you know, who have a dream and they need resources. And there are all kinds of needs. Or from family and friends, from my dad who will say, my uncle is passing on. and is, you know, They're all needs. And when you go to work, you'll be confronted with needs you know, as you interact with your friends, with your colleagues, and they'll share with you their challenges back at home. So we live in a very needy world. Someone say amen. We live in a very needy world. The second observation from this story is we are inadequate to meet the overwhelming needs of people. Like the disciples, 
As much as we feel, as much as we have got compassion, we are inadequate to meet these needs. I want you to notice the contrast between Jesus' attitude towards the multitude and that of the disciples. The Bible says in verse 11 that Jesus welcomed them. But the disciples says in verse 12, send the crowd away. Right? So you see the distinction. Jesus welcomed needs, but the disciples must be so worn out and they, and, they, and they are so in need of a break. They say, please stop sending me the crowd. Stop. I can, I can no longer bear another need. And Jesus said, said something utterly ridiculous. He said, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. I can just imagine Peter said, what? Can you say that again, please? And Jesus, I'm sure, repeated himself. You give them something to eat. And there were 5,000 men, not including women and children. So at least there were at least 10, if not 15,000 people. And all the food that the disciples could come up with after looking around, no one wanted to surrender their lunch except this one young lad, the Bible says. All they could find was five loaves and two fishes. We all know this story really well. Five loaves and two fishes. The entire story underscores the utter inadequacy of the disciples to meet this overwhelming need. And I've been thinking a lot about inadequacy recently, and I think it's a good thing. I'll talk more about that maybe next week or so. And many of us in church, we feel, I can't really serve God. I, know I don't have much I, I, you know, I can't be a life group leader. I can't lead worship. You know, I, I, I'm inadequate with the assignment God has given to me. And the manner in which Jesus performed this miracle is very significant. And we, I, you know, I want all of us to look at this. All right? Because Jesus, listen, could have called down manna from heaven. All right? He's the Word of God personified. He could have, like, you know, in the days of old, called down manna from heaven. It would be a, a lot easier on the 12 disciples. All right? would have been a, a lot more efficient. This manner coming down, appearing on the, on the people's hands. Okay, there's bread. And even the way he sat the people down probably is a reflection of what was happening in the Old Testament when the, when the nation of Israel was in tribes, was in their groups. And so that's a perfect scenario for Jesus to call down bread from heaven and show himself as the Messiah, but he didn't do that. Or the, look, or the Lord could have spoken the word and a loaf of bread would have appeared, right? As I, as, you know, I said, but you know, and it's, it's a lot more, more impressive and saved the disciples' time, but he didn't do that. Jesus could have called angels to come from the north, the south, the east, and the west to deliver bread, all right? And uh, by hand, air-flown bread from heaven, all right? And gave it to each group and give them food. And people must have been amazed and it could be a talking point even up till today. But Jesus didn't do that. So how did Jesus do it? Jesus used the disciples to distribute the bread and the fish to the people. It's so understated. It's so subtle. No one knew that, that the miracle was taking place. All the disciples did was just to... Do exactly what Jesus said, go around, give out bread, but they kept giving, kept giving, and the bread didn't run out, the fish didn't run out. So Jesus was actually teaching us a lesson that He wants to co-labor together with us in meeting the needs of people. Are you with me? 
I'm convinced that Jesus' method for meeting the needs of a lost world is through people. Let me say this. Christ meets the needs of people through people. Let me say it one more time. Christ meets the needs of people through people. Christ meets the need of your friends in school through you, through people. Christ meets the needs of your workplace and your colleagues through you, through people. And if I, if I may add, through inadequate people. If you think this morning that you don't qualify, that you're inadequate for the assignment before you, regardless of how big that dream is, I want you to know that you are in the right place and you are among the right company. Christ uses inadequate people to meet the needs of people. Let's take a look at this story. Jesus uses tired, emotionally drained people. These guys you know, have been serving and they've been on this mission trip. They are tired. They were supposed to go on a retreat, leaders' retreat. And they were go- when they were going across the island, or across the sea to Bintan, there was a lot of people there waiting for more ministry. The disciples were tired. They were drained. Jesus uses busy people. The the disciples and Jesus himself didn't even have the time to eat because of all the people coming and going. And invariably, the Lord doesn't use people with extra time on their hands. Have you found that, that out? When I was a young believer, my pastor said to me, the reward of good work is more work. And that's true. Have I ever been free? So people say, oh, you must be busy. Of course. You know, it's, it's just being fruitful and productive in the kingdom. And I question people who are always you know, like, I'm free. <laughs> you can't be free. All right, it's the kingdom. Now, we, we, we have to rest in the Lord. But Jesus uses busy people. He uses those who are busy and He keeps them busy. I'm sure, friends, that they didn't have time to eat until the crowd had been served. Are you with me? And that's what I do every Sunday. People say, I know I'll, I'll be going around making sure, you know, as leaders here, we're always having lunch after most of you. When we get to Lao Pasat, some of you are living already, right? So Jesus uses busy people, not just in church, but also in the workplace. He uses busy people. Jesus uses people who lack resources. The disciples didn't have enough money to buy food for the masses that day. The other Gospels actually reported that they did a quick calculation and told Jesus they needed 200 denarii, uh, which is uh, about 7 to 8 months uh, wage. And even that wouldn't be, it wouldn't be enough to buy a little bit of bread for the 15,000 people. 8 months wage. And definitely those guys didn't have money. So what did Jesus use? And you might say, Jesus used five small loaves and two small fish, a boy's lunch, not much to feed a crowd. And Matthew's gospel records that Jesus said this, bring the five loaves and two fishes to me. Friends, that's the key. That's the, and that's the thing that, 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 that unlocks the miracle. Bring whatever you have. See, give your inadequate resources and abilities to Jesus and the insufficient becomes more than sufficient when that's surrendered to Christ. Are you with me? And that brings me to the third observation. See, Christ will give us His sufficiency when we yield our inadequacy to Him and allow Him to use as He pleases. Are you with me? God is able. 
All he wants is our surrender. All he wants is us yielding our inadequacy. You might say, I, I don't have the skill. I, I, I don't have the ability. I don't have the education. Uh, but haven't you found out, friends, that the Bible says that God chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise? So all he's looking for is our yielding, amen, our availability, us surrendering our lives. And so I've got two thoughts on this point. Number one, yield what we have, not what we don't have. Hello? Yield what we have, not what we don't have. That sounds obvious, but friends, so often we make up excuses about what we don't have. And we all, and we fail to offer to Jesus what we do have. Let me repeat it. So often we make up excuses we make up excuses not to give to Jesus what we have. And we say things like, if I've got more money, I'll give more regularly. If I've got more time, I'll serve. If I've got more teachings, if, I have, if I've gone through Bible school, then I'll teach. If I've gone through you know, my Bible study for two or three, then, see friends, we always offer to Jesus, you know, we always say, we, we, we don't have, we can't do it, instead of feeling to offer to Jesus what we do have. If I've got more time, I'll witness. If I've got you know, more resource, then you know, I'll do more. Friends, it doesn't work like that. Jesus didn't use all the bread in, in Bethsaida, when the disciples, which the disciples didn't have. He used the five loaves and two fish that they did have. Let me repeat, Jesus didn't go, get them to go to Bethsaida, multiply the resources, like the money, and say, you go and buy all the bread. Even that, there weren't 50, bread for 15,000 people in Bethsaida. That was a lot. That was like a banquet for 15,000 people. And so Jesus didn't use what they don't have. Jesus is asking for what they have. Are you with me? For what they have. And Jesus doesn't ask you to give him what you don't have this morning. He's asking you to give him what you do have. I read this story of a farmer, of a, of a country preacher who went to a farmer in, in, in his church one day and asked, if you had two farms, would you be willing to give one farm to the Lord? And the farmer said, yes, I only wish I'm in the position to do that. And the preacher persisted, if you had $20,000, would you give 10000 to the Lord's work? And the farmer replied, of course, if I have that money, I would do that. I'll give the money. I'll gladly give it to the Lord. Uh, and then the preacher then said, if you've got two pigs, would you give one pig to the Lord's work? And the farmer said, that's not fair. You know I've got two pigs. You know I've got two pigs. See, oftentimes... When the Lord comes to us, you know, he, he doesn't ask us for what we don't have. He's asking us for what we do have. Amen? For what we do have. The second thought from this is that you know, we are to yield our inadequacy to Jesus for Him to use as He pleases. See, the disciples weren't giving the orders here. They were following Jesus' command. Have them recline in groups of 50. Eat what? And, and just lay them down. And then he says, serve the food. Break the five loaves, break the two fish, and just serve these thousands of people. I can just imagine the minds of the disciples just going all over. Five loaves, two fishes, 15,000 people. God, how to do this? There's no way. <laughs> but it doesn't work like, like that. We need to yield ourselves to the Lord and allow Him to do what He pleases. 
And so what the Lord did with the boys' lunch is I believe what He would do with our lives and with our abilities, with our availability when we surrender to Him our inadequacies. And this is what I want to challenge you this morning. It's not, it's not, it's not, a, it's not about what you don't have. You know, stop giving excuses. I could give a lot of excuses you know, for not doing the Lord's work. For example, when I was growing up, I'll say, I can't speak. God, I, I, I stutter when I speak. So why should I be a pastor? The pastor must be talking, right? So I can't. I, I could say I've not been through a Bible school, so I can't teach. I, I, I wouldn't go for camps and speak because I'm not qualified. I didn't go through business school. I don't know how to lead an, an organization. You know, someone else is better. Get someone else. Just get the guy who has got some experience. You know, I can tell you at least 20 reasons why I can't serve God. At least I can give excuses after excuses of why I'm the most disqualified person to lead a church or to lead any business for the matter of fact. I, I didn't have the qualification, the resources to be doing what I'm doing today. And so friends, that's exactly what God is looking for. He's not looking for what you can do for Him. He's just looking for your surrender. Amen? And so when the boys surrendered the five and two fishes, Jesus did three things. Number one, Jesus blesses it. Say blesses. You have to understand without the Lord's blessing, we're wasting our time. If the Lord isn't blessing this church, we're wasting our time. The worship, the preaching, the planning, we're wasting our time because the Bible says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain. Who build it? It is the Lord's blessing. See, everything in God's work depends upon His blessing. If the blessing of the Lord is there, even an insufficient amount is more than enough. If the Lord's blessing is lacking, the greatest resources and efforts in the world will not be enough. You have to get it. It's when the Lord breathes His life, when the Lord blesses it, whatever you do will prosper. Like what I said about Joseph. Joseph, a farmer becoming a prime minister, do you know what was the secret? The secret is because the Lord was with Joseph. A sign of God's blessings is His presence. When the presence of God is with you, you will prosper. That's a sign of the blessings of the Lord. Amen. So everything that, that the Lord blesses, He will prosper. See, God's blessing means a working of God that's far in excess of human calculations. The disciples could scrape together 200 denarii, collect an, an offering from the 15,000 people. I'm sure they could squeeze 20, 200 denarii. Everyone give like a few hours wage. They could, you know, and they might just go to town and bring back a little bit of food to, set, to satisfy them a little bit. Are you with me? <laughs> but that's not God's blessing. That's not how God works. If there is no human way to explain the results in proportion to the gifts or the workings of those involved, that's a sign of God's blessing. It confounds your mind. You don't even know, how do you do that? If you look at Jason, if one day he writes 10 books and becomes a bestseller, you know it's the Lord's blessing. Why? Because humanly speaking, when every time I read his Facebook posts, I said, I said to myself, this guy is anointed because I know him. He's my brother. You know, he can't write like that when, when he was growing up. It's just 
the unction and the anointing, the blessing of the Lord. And some of it is the same. Whenever you do a great piece of work and if people look at you and say, oh wow, this is unbelievable, it's remarkable, you know it's the blessing of the Lord. I mean, it goes beyond human calculation. And that's what we need in this church. That's, that's what we're looking for in your life. Amen? We want God to breathe His life and say, you are a blessed man. It's not human efforting. It's not us trying to scrape together. It's just saying, God, bless me. Isn't that a prayer that was popular about 10 years ago? God, bless me and enlarge me. And that's a powerful prayer. God, bless me. Turn to the person next to you and say, God bless me. Friends, it doesn't mean that we become sloppy in our work and expect God to cover up for our incompetence. I'm not talking about that. We still have got to put in effort. We have got to work in partnership with, with uh, the Lord. But it's not about striving. It's not about us trying to you know, just calculate and plan. It doesn't work like that. We can plan all we want. But at the end of the day, unless God blesses, us, we will have no success. Our success would be limited at best. Amen? But when the Lord blesses it, that's when we start to see remarkable, mind-boggling expansion, enlargement, influence that's beyond our human abilities. And that's why we ask God to bless our business when we start our business. That's why we ask God to bless our church when we start our church. That's why we ask God to bless our house, to bless our kids. Bless, bless, bless. We invoke the blessings of the Lord. That's why we ask God to bless every marriage. It's not that he doesn't want to bless, but it's just partnering together with him to receive from heaven the blessings that flow down from all that Christ has done for us. Amen? Come on! To have God's blessing is not to expect results in proportion to my talents and my labor. It is in proportion to God's abundance. Wow. And that's what, a lot, that's what all of us need in your workplace in your life. Give to God what you have, your inadequate little that you have. And say, God, bless it, please. Give to God your life. And say, God, this is my life. This little light of mine, I, I want let to let, let it shine. And allow God to bless it. If would speak to anyone who has been greatly used by God in history, they will tell you that it's not their own doing, it's the blessing of the Lord. Amen. Without the Lord's blessing, the five loaves and two fish would be woefully inadequate. But with His blessing, it's so much more. It's more than enough. We must expect God to work beyond all that man can conceive, even in this church, in your life. We must expect God to work beyond all that our mind can conceive. Plan all you want, but then avail to God even the lack that you have, the, what you don't have. Say, God bless it. That's the first thing. The second thing, when you give to God what you have, Jesus breaks it. Wow. I want to say this. Blessing and brokenness go together. It's uncomfortable. It doesn't work like that, God. You bless and you break. What are you talking about? If I can reduce my life message to one message is, is brokenness. I've preached this many times in this church to my friends. I realized that what God is looking for isn't my strength, but my weakness. I'll talk more about that. 
So you wouldn't find God's blessings apart from God's breaking. Hello? You can see in the lives of every person God has used. Abraham and Sarah had to be past their ability to produce a child before God gave them Isaac. It wasn't, God wasn't looking for what they can do. He was looking for their brokenness. Jacob had to be crippled in his hip before he prevailed with God. Moses had to fill his own strength trying to deliver a whole nation and spend 40 long years tending sheep in the desert before God could use him to deliver Israel. And the story goes on. Joseph had dreams of greatness, had to go through the pit, had to go through the prison before he entered the palace. Gideon had 30,000 men in comparison to the hundreds of thousands there was still a little bit of strength and the Lord says, still too many. And so he reduced the the number to 10,000. Still too many until 300, up against at least 300,000. One to, what? One to 10,000 men. How do you fight? One man fighting 10,000 men. It's impossible. And the Lord says, it's just nice for me. (laughs) God is looking for our inability. He's looking for our brokenness. And He's looking for us to surrender the little that we have and say, God, that's all I have. And Lord, take it and Lord, break it. I like what Vance Hafner said. And I've quoted this in my previous messages, but let me quote this for this message. God uses broken things. It takes broken soil to produce a crop. Broken clouds to give rain. Broken grain to give bread. Broken bread to give strength. It is the broken alabaster box that gives forth perfume. It is Peter, weeping bitterly, who returns to greater power than ever. See, most of us aren't too weak to serve the Lord. We're just too strong. Or at least we think we are. We're we're too strong. We we are too proud to surrender to the Lord. What we, you know, we don't want to expose our weakness, which is why we don't serve. Because we say, oh, we can't, we can't. We we aren't willing to put our weakness on display. You know, when I was growing up as a pastor, and when I was preaching the first few times, every Sunday I died in the pulpit. Do Do you know that? Every Sunday, when I speak to my youth, I'll go back home and I'll say to my wife, I want to give up. I can't speak for nuts. I'll listen to myself on audio and I'll be disgusted at the way I spoke. I was stuttering right throughout. I was trying so hard. You know why? It was my pride. (laughs) I think Jason goes through the same thing. I think Andre goes through the same thing. I think most of us who lead worship, every Sunday you see our weakness on display. Those of you who serve, those of you who are in the workplace and you've been given an assignment that's beyond you, it's, it's an opportunity for God to breathe His blessings on your life. Your weakness on display. We aren't too strong to serve God. We aren't too weak to serve God. We're just too strong. And the Lord doesn't want our adequacy, my friends. He wants our inadequacy so that He could supply the adequacy. His adequacy. Amen? That's what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4.7. He puts His treasure in our weak earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of His power is clearly from Him and not from us. I like this version better. We have these treasures in jars of clay. This treasure, 
to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Can I just burst your bubble? You are not the treasure. You are the jars of clay. The treasure is Christ in you, who is the hope of glory. But the only way the treasure could be manifested, if I could say, is for the jars of clay to be broken so that what's inside you could come out. The only way for the perfume to impact the atmosphere and the story of Mary and the, and the alabaster jar is for that jar of perfume that's so expensive to be broken. The only way we can have revival is for the clouds of, above us to be broken. The only way for the man who was crippled for 38 years from birth to, to experience the miracle in Mark chapter 2 was for the roof to be broken. The only way our lives could mean anything is so that is for God to is for us to allow God to break us so that when we succeed, we know it's not us, it's Him. Amen. When we yield ourselves to Him and allow Him to bless and break and multiply and distribute our few loaves and fishes, He meets the needs of people. The third thing Jesus did is Jesus satisfies. Jesus satisfies. Jesus kept giving them to the, the bread to the, the disciples, the fish to the disciples, and that was set uh, to set before the, mount, the multitude until they all ate and were satisfied. They all, see, they all included the boy who gave up his lunch. Everyone had enough to eat that day. They even had leftovers. See, when the boy, you know, we can we can approach this story from different angles. The boy who gave his lunch, to him was a sacrifice. It was his favorite food. It was like asking my, you know, my little girl to give up McDonald's. That's like how big. Loaves and fish, right? Fish, uh, filet or, or fish. To give up your filet, all right? And share that. I still remember we, we, we were trying to teach Megan the power of sharing, right? And so Joy said to Megan, Megan, when you share, you have more, right? Do parents do that? All, all, we, tell, we tell this story and we said, well, when you share, you have more. And I still remember Megan protested. She said, no, no, when I share, I've got, I've, I don't have. No, when I share, I've got no more. You know, something like, like that. And I was thinking to myself, it's so true. And I believe that's what the boy must be thinking. When I share, I've got no more. And Jesus was looking for food. I just give him my food. He must have thought this lunch is for Jesus. <laughs> Don't miss the end of verse 17. The Bible says the leftovers added to how many baskets? How many? Twelve. How many disciples were there? Twelve, of course, plus all the caliphate, there were a lot more, but the twelve. <laughs> but there were twelve baskets full of leftovers for twelve disciples. A basket full of loaves and fishes for each disciple. But do you know what, friends? The disciples had to serve the hungry multitude first, and only after that did they collect their basket full. Sometimes we think if I give my time, my resource, my money, my energy to serve the Lord, what's in for me? What, what about me? Sometimes, you know, I must do this first. I need to build my career. I need to... Sometimes we think that if we use what we have to serve God, 
We've got nothing left. But as Jesus goes on to explain in verse 24, which is not in our text this morning, whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. See, friends, as we lose ourselves in service for Jesus, he will make sure you get a basket full after you're done. See, Jesus will never shortchange us. Amen. He will never I've, I'm 40 years old this year. I've been serving God faithfully. It's not just about full-time. I've trusted Him my whole life since I came to know Christ. 15 years old, against my parents' wishes. No one was in my camp in those days. There was, my tribe was, on, on, was only me, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in, in my little bedroom. That's my only territory. People were against it, but I tell you, in the last 15 years, God, 25 years, God has never shortchanged me. Never. Amen. Lose yourself in the service of Jesus and He will make sure you will have your basket full after you're done. See, the bread in this miracle represents Christ. And Jesus said in John 6, 35, that He's the bread of life. He who comes to Him shall not hunger, but if you believe in Him, shall never thirst. Friends, He's the bread of life. And the Lord is teaching us here that if we surrender ourselves to Him to use as He pleases in meeting the needs of people, He will satisfy us with a full measure of Himself. I want you to know this, friends, that if you give yourself in the Lord's service, He will satisfy us. See, more than the prosperity, more than the resource, more than the growth of the church, more than you know, the influence that we have, do you know what's the ultimate satisfaction for a true believer? It's the Lord Himself. It's when He comes to you and when He says to you, you're my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. So when He says to you that you are that well done, you're, you're a good and faithful servant. It's when... The Word of the Lord comes to you and affirms you that you've done a great job. I guarantee you, you talk to the, the richest people in the world or the most powerful people in the world. The riches doesn't satisfy them. Power, prestige, cover of Forbes magazine or Fortune magazine. I tell you, these things feels good for a season, but ultimately, friends, what satisfies a man's soul is when the Lord comes to you and says, you're mine. I guarantee you. I guarantee you. <laughs> so as I close this morning, I want to conclude with, with a story of D.L. Moody. And, and you've heard me. He's one of my heroes. Because I could see myself in Moody's life. See, Moody was a man whom God greatly used. You might not know him, but he was, the, he was one of the first founders of YMCA. All right, so thousands of people, both in the U.S. and in England, met Jesus through Moody's labors. But humanly speaking, Moody was a very inadequate man. He's one of nine children. His father died when he was four. He had little formal school. And all his life, the, his grammar was atrocious. Atrocious. And what little religious... Uh, uh, training he has, he received as a child in his church by a Sunday school. At 17 years old, he left home to work in Boston in a shoe store. And there, a Sunday school teacher, and you know the story, Edward Kimball, basically called on him and presented the gospel to Moody. 
At the back of the store, Moody trusted Jesus. He applied to join a church, but they turned him down and kept him waiting 10 months because he was so ignorant of the Bible. He didn't know much. He moved to Chicago where after work, he began to go out into the slums and gather the poor children to bring to Sunday school. A businessman who knew Moody before he became famous told of the first time he saw Moody. Moody had gotten permission to hold a meeting in a little shanty that a saloon keeper had abandoned. The businessman came in a little late and saw this heavy set man holding a small black boy in his arms. By the light of a few candles, he was trying to read to this, to this boy the story of the prodigal son. And the businessman could, uh, and he couldn't make out many of the words and he had to skip them. The businessman thought, if the Lord can use such an instrument as that for his honor and glory, it will certainly astonish me. After the meeting was over, Moody told the, the man, I've only one talent. I have no formal training, but I love the Lord Jesus Christ, and I want to do something for Him. Will you pray for me? Of course, D.L. Moody went on to change the, the face of religion, if I could say, in the U.S. and in the U.K. Can't even read Luke 15 to a black boy. Can't even pronounce some of those words. And yet, he was one of the finest evangelists before Graham, before Bonky, before men like that. And thousands were saved. What's my point? God isn't looking for your adequacies. He's looking for your inadequacies. He will just say yes to the Lord. He will just say, God, I give you what I have. And don't try to preserve you know, your dignity. Allow your weakness to be on display, friends. And God can do a lot with the little